This is Temple in Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome into Temple and Heilprin, live from Monk's Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie. We are here every Thursday from 6 to 7, myself and Jesse Temple. Jesse, how's it going? A little hectic tonight. A little hectic, little hectic today as uh, Keontes Lewis announced that he is transferring. And we'll talk about that coming up here in a little bit. Before we get to that, just wanted to let everybody know what's going on out here at Monks. It's a great place to come out here for Badgers and Packers games. They have game day, 15 domestic uh $15 domestic bottles, uh, $15 domestic buckets, I can do it, and jello shots for every touchdown the Packers and Badgers score. We also have a great happy hour that we're actually in the middle of right now. Uh, it's from 3 to 7, Monday through Friday. You can get free upgrades on 22-ounce mugs as well as $2 off appetizers. So come on, check them out. They've got some great TVs, some great football. Going to be seeing some uh, football tonight, NFL football, as the Vikings head to Philadelphia looking to avoid an 0-2 start. And uh, we'll see if they can get it done. They're dealing with some injuries. Philadelphia's dealing with some injuries as well. But I don't think anybody that's listening to this really cares about that game. They want to hear about Wisconsin, and they want to hear about Keontes Lewis. And he has decided to move on after a little more than a season. I guess, uh, what, 15 games he gave it here at Wisconsin after moving up, after coming here from UCLA. He did not play against Washington State. First game, he got six snaps and caught one pass, one for Pass for 12 yards. The big difference from last year, right? I mean, he had 20 catches. He had three touchdowns. He was the essentially the third wide receiver for them last year, behind Skylar Bell and Jim Ray DK. It was never thought that he would not be in the top six. I think we talked about that throughout the off season and spring ball and fall camp. And we always thought there was going to be a six-man rotation. And then come opening week, it was not. And he has decided to pull the plug and and held held head elsewhere. Now I know. You had a chance to talk to him, and I'm sure that there's a lot that goes into this decision. Yeah, I'll preface this by saying that when you're talking to a player who is leaving the program and is leaving under a situation where he's not playing, not going to be all that happy about the situation. So I, I think I want to acknowledge that. And obviously when I talk to him, I'm only hearing one side of the story, but Keontes certainly not thrilled with how this all went down. You're right. When we watched the first two weeks of preseason practices, it certainly looked like there was going to be a six-player rotation and that he would be a part of it. And as we know, once Buffalo arrived, there was a five-man rotation and, and Keontes was left out. They certainly like what Chimray DK gives. And then obviously on the other side, they had Bryson Green and C.J. Williams. But Keontes, when I was talking to him, I asked him, did you have any sense going into that opener that you would not be a part of the rotation? And he said no idea. And one of his biggest gripes is he didn't feel like there was adequate communication in terms of what was going on. And he said that between week one and week two, wide receivers coach Mike Brown told him that things were going to go back to normal. And he, Keontes told me that he assumed normal meant the normal rotation. And the normal rotation would be six players. And, and as you laid out, Zach, he did not play any snaps in that Washington State game. And so for Keontes... The writing was on the wall. I, I must say I am surprised by the timing of this. We know that the rules of the transfer portal are that the actual portal window isn't open right now. You have to wait until December. But his plan is to, I mean, he feels like he's kind of cutting his losses right now and can reset and mentally prepare for when that time comes. Um, he's just, he's not happy with the way this, this went down, obviously. 
Obviously, and yet it's two games. Yep. And a lot can happen. He's one injury away from getting significant playing time. Again, I mentioned this in our show on Tuesday, the camp, that when Chim Ray DK went out on send, on uh, on two, uh, last Saturday when he got hurt in that last drive, Keontes Lewis was not the, po- the person that replaced him. It was C.J. Williams that come, came over to the other side, and we know what Wisconsin has done throughout what we've seen. Chimray Diki is on the left side. Keontes Lewis has been on the left side. Quincy Burroughs has been on the left side. On the right side, it's been C.J. Williams and Bryson Green and, you know, some of the younger guys, right? But that was not the case. Like, And we saw it in game one, too, when they went into their, he called it burn time, I think it was. Uh, uh, Keontes called it burn time. He was the guy on the right side, so he would have been the third guy behind Bryson Green and C.J. Williams, and it was Quincy Burroughs in the spot that Jim Radike normally holds, I guess. So, do you know what the different what happened there? Did they did they make a change? And how far away was he from from playing time? Was it going to be having to go through Bryson Green and C.J. Williams? It's tough to say how far away he was. Um, I mean, again, Keontes, it seems like felt a little confused about why this happened and for him like he was okay with not being a starter he just wanted to be a part of the rotation but he also felt like what he told me this this lingered a little bit in terms of probably going back to spring ball because as we know he moved down to the second team group there was a a stretch where cj williams had really good moments and he went up to the ones and that obviously shuffled some things around and so he said he felt like there wasn't done enough in the spring to earn what happened. And I think why he wants to leave now is he feels like, hey, I put it on tape last year. Look at what I did. I didn't do anything to diminish my opportunities in the spring or the fall, and yet this is the role that I find myself in. And, I mean, I'll tell you, the the thing that he he told me when I asked him if, I said, do you feel like you were left with no choice here? What's your approach? And he said, what would you do in this position? Zero snaps, no love. You, you know, you got burn time that first game, and, and they just they treat you that way. And you know you're more than capable of, of what they're giving you. And he said, I, I feel like I just did what anybody would have done that's in my shoes. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm only giving you the perspective of, of how Keontes feels in this moment. And he felt like he needed to make a change as a result. We talked about it on Tuesday. Were you surprised by the lack of playing time? And I think we both were. And obviously, now that he has left, we also know that some family members have come out pretty uh, strongly and talked about some of the other stuff that they believed happened here. But he, what was the impression from that you got from him about the reason why he left? Was it strictly playing time? Was there more to this than just playing time? I got the sense that it is strictly playing time and that he just didn't have the communication that he wanted with the coaching staff in terms of what he needed to do or or when they and he didn't go into detail about what was it that mike brown said you need to do he felt like it was he felt like he was doing those things and so it was one of those agree to disagree situations so um i'm not i'm not entirely sure but that seems to be the main reason is playing time because again if he was number six and they were playing six he would still be here he just wanted an opportunity to play but when he realized that that wasn't going to be a part of the plan at least early in this season that's why he wanted to leave he wants to go somewhere where he can play that's honestly what it comes down to it sounds like I mean, he loves the, the guys that he was with at wisconsin didn't necessarily want to leave 
But why did he come here? He came here because he played 11 games at UCLA as a true freshman. He didn't catch one pass. When Alvis Witted was the wide receivers coach here, he saw something in Lewis, a big-bodied guy who can be a big play wide receiver guy. And, and another thing that Keontae has told me is, I'm the best deep threat on the team. Now, that's his perspective. He showed that in flashes. So that's ultimately, to me, what seems to be the only reason. As we're sitting here, we don't have a full picture, right? Because we're only we only are, you only talk to Keontes. Obviously, you have to um, go through a little bit more hoops to to, to talk to Wisconsin, and uh, that effort's been made as well. But I will say, I don't think that this makes either side look look bad. I think it's just you're breaking up now. You don't want that. If Keontes Lewis does not want to be there and he's going to be upset that he's not getting playing time and he's going to potentially be, and I'm not saying he is, but could potentially be a thorn in the side of the coaching staff that they're trying to, to clean, or not clean, but change the culture and, and do things differently, then just leave. That's fine. And I think it's the same from Wisconsin's point of view. It's like, all right, you don't want to be here, leave. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, some side could make the case well. This coaching staff brought in its own guys and wanted to play its own guys. You know what? The coaching staff wants to play the guys that they believe are going to give this team the best opportunity to win, and it's hard for me to sit here and say that the ones that are playing shouldn't be playing. We've seen the potential that C.J. Williams has had. Bryson Green is, to me, at least what we've seen, the best deep threat that they have, the most physical, certainly. And Chimray DK, yes. he's earned that opportunity, and what it comes down to is if you don't have DK on the field, that means you got to put someone else in there, and they really like DK. And so in an ideal world, and Mike Brown had talked about this going into the season, they wanted to play six wide receivers. And we saw in the first two weeks there was a stretch where they were rotating, and I mentioned this, like it was a hockey shift, three in, three out. Now, how realistic was that going to be for the season? Obviously, we know now not entirely realistic, but I don't think this is a situation of, of you're right. The, the staff didn't do anything wrong in terms of who's playing now again. Just from this one side, Keontes doesn't feel like the communication was there, but he's also not happy with the lack of playing time, and so your experience and perspective can be clouded from that. Right, and I think a lot of people say, like, yeah, this coaching staff brought in their, their guys. They wanted them to play. That's fine. That's fine. You got, you know, you're not happy that some transfers passed you by. He passed some guys by when he came in as a transfer, too. That's right. right? I mean, it's it's not that, like, he wasn't the, in the – some of the guys behind him weren't in the exact same spot they were last year, and, they, and what did they do? They moved on, right? Right. Stephen Bra uh, Stephen Bracy moved on. Like there were there are those guys that moved on. They got passed, and they're like, "All right, we're going to move on." And that's exactly what Keontes is doing. I don't know exactly if, and maybe he maybe he told you this or not, but does he have to sit out a year? Because this is going to be his second going to be his second transfer, and the waiver it's not an automatic now. You get you get one free one. It's not automatic. We've seen some of this how this has played out at some of the other schools. I mean, there's a big thing down at UNC right now with Des Walker, and that and he actually had a reason for going home. Um, Kantes is just not getting playing time. I don't think that's going to be a great waiver decision, but what, what do you know? That part I don't know, but it's a great point, and you're making this decision. You obviously have to be all in it, and, and same with you're going to stick with the team. You're, as a coach would say, you're, you're either all in or you've got one foot out the door. We don't want you anymore, but when you make this decision, you've got to be aware of the ramifications, and one of those ramifications could be the amount of time you have to sit he obviously felt very strongly about this and was fed up enough to make this decision, but that is certainly notable in this transfer portal decision. Without, again, without knowing Wisconsin's side of it, how do you think this makes Wisconsin look? I don't think it makes Wisconsin look bad. I mean, the only thing 
that I see is, well, what kind of communication was there between Keontes and the coaches? And that may be something that stays in-house. That's certainly the coaching staff's right. Now, Keontes said that he had no idea he was not going to play. And if that is the case, then certainly I think there needs to be a greater level of communication for guys who are putting all this time in. But again, that is only one side of the story here. So that's the only element here where I can say, well, could the coaching staff have done a better job of communicating? But right now, we don't know the full picture. It's funny. I feel like a lot of these, and you do a great job with these exit interviews, and and you get a lot of them. I feel like a lot of them are a lot of them are talking about communication or lack thereof between coaching staff and, and otherwise. So it, it feels like it's a it's a rather big aspect of people wanting to leave and and uh, and move on at times. And people want to feel the love. They want to feel like they. The coaches really want them to be a part of something, and, and but it comes down to playing time. Everybody who comes to Wisconsin generally was the guy on their high school team, and this is not new for them, and you have to adjust to it and, and figure out how to deal with it. And if you can, obviously we see guys leave, and it's interesting because every position group, every situation ends up differently. I probably, till the end of time, when we talk about the transfer portal situation, we'll go back to the Quan Easterling thing where he left, and then literally that week the two guys that were in front of him got injured, and if Easterling had stayed, he may have well been fullback number one. Now, <laughs> who knows and now what it would have looked like with moving away from fullbacks, but you just never know. And again, you've got to be really sure when you make this decision that you're ready to step away. It's funny you mention him. I looked him up uh, like a month or so ago, and he's playing tight end. There you go. At, uh, what was it? Quinnipiac? Is that where he ended up? Was it? No, it was Duquesne. 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 So, yeah, not, not exactly an ideal situation for him, and we'll see. I, do you think Keontes Lewis is their best deep threat? I think he's one of them. Okay. Um, but obviously, you've got to be the most consistent guy to get those reps. I think I would go, I mean, Bryson Green, from the little that we've seen, very impressive. I know he had a 41-yard reception against Washington State. He can do some special things. He should have had a touchdown as well yep, he uh, have. if he had gotten hit on that, Absolutely. that deep post. There that, was no safety help over the middle, and he had his guy beaten on the inside, and Tanner yeah. just threw it a little bit behind him. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Tanner's thinking about that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, they had. I've, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, they don't, have, they don't have these guys running deep. They don't have them running open. And I'm like, I think they, they do. They've had steps on guys. They've had moments, and they've had moments where they've hit. Right, Jim Ray had another had a long one that he that they did hit on. You mentioned the Bryson Green one. They had another one that was called back on the the back shoulder throw. And again, I know that's not a deep throw, but the type of stuff that they're able to throw the ball down the field, they have the ability to do it. And you know, I think a lot of people point to like the uh, the fades that they ran to to C.J. Williams in the in the end zone. Be like, oh, Keontae Lewis could have been no. I, I don't agree at all. I think it's a situation where they put the guy that they feel most comfortable in there, and they felt comfortable about C.J. Williams, and they didn't want to play, and they didn't want to put Keontes in there. Just I think it's just simply as simple as that. So he moves on, and uh, Wisconsin has one less wide receiver. They still have quite a few of them, though I will say they are injury-wise is starting to pile up there. Uh, you know, they have, they have their top five, which is good. Vinny Anthony, obviously, is probably that number six now, and behind them dealing with some injuries as well with uh, Tommy McIntosh and, and Chris Brooks Jr. But, again, and, and obviously Trash Kekahuna, another guy a lot of people were excited about coming in. So we'll see. Uh, I, think they're still, I think they're still all right at wide receiver right now. They've got, they've got some pieces there to work with. They do. All right. We're going to step aside. When we come back, get to get into uh, Braylon Allen's workload. There's some... Some people upset about that, or he's maybe he's a little upset about that. We're live for Monks in some prairie here. You're listening to Temple and Highland. 
Yes, welcome back into Temple and Heilbrunn. We are live from Monk's Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie. Come by, check it out. A lot of TVs to watch, a lot of football. As I mentioned in the first segment, great deals when the Badgers and Packers are playing. They've got $15 domestic buckets of beer, and you can also get jello shots every time the Badgers or Packers score a touchdown. Plenty of plenty of touchdowns scored for the Packers last weekend. Probably could have gotten uh, nice and liquored up uh, with the Packers game. Badgers, not as much. A little bit too much too much settling for field goals. If they if they gave out shots for field goals. They'd be in really good spot, really good spot. But really enjoy uh, being out here at Monks. We're going to be here every Thursday from 6 to 7 throughout the entire season. All right, let's get into this Braylon Allen situation, so, which we probably would have led with if not for Keontes Lewis deciding that he wanted to transfer. But Braylon Allen, we talked a little bit about on the camp on Tuesday and whether the carries, you know, how many carries is needed and how upset he was. And um, I know you thought that he was in a good spot good frame of mind right like he thought he was he was he was good i know that the quote that is kind of blowing up today here from uh the wisconsin state Turtles story that, that colton wrote uh, colton bartholomew wrote and i wanted to give credit for him because he's he, he has this quote and it, and it kind of makes it seem like he's a little bit more upset than than maybe i i initially uh, anticipated and this is the quote that it i view myself as one of the top players, not just on this team, but in the country. And I think when we're in a game like that, that comes down to the wire. I want the ball in my hands. That was really just the main message behind it. There's nothing against the play calling or anything like that. It's just expressing that I want to be heavily involved in every game. And this is the quote. That was him, That what he told Luke Fickle. And it kind of felt like Luke Fickle maybe answered it a little bit um, when he spoke with us on Monday and talking about taking advantage of the opportunities that you do get. Mm-hmm. And so I was a little, I was a little surprised to see that, that quote from, from, uh, from Braylon because he was not effective in the amount of snaps that he got, the, the number of carries that he got. He got seven carries. He had 20 yards. He had six catches for 12 yards. That's not effective whatsoever. And to think that, you know, in a game, close game like that, you should be giving him more touches. I, I don't know that that's the answer. However, I will say this. I thought the beginning of the fourth quarter, they did start, they did have a little success to run the ball or have some success running the ball early in the fourth quarter, which is probably where he got most of his yards. And maybe maybe that's what he's thinking. I can understand his perspective when you're the number one running back for a year and a half and there are games where you're getting 20-plus carries, 100-plus yards, leading the team in touchdowns. You want to be that guy, and you feel like you've earned the right to be that guy. The difference here is that, like you said, they, he was not effective in the touches. I mean, he and Chez, neither one of them was particularly effective. Chez did have that short touchdown run, but they combined for 90 yards rushing a week after they'd combined for 298 yards rushing. So it's a real give and take here, but he certainly has a right, in based on his position, to be able to say something like that. Not very many guys can say that. He's got the body of work. On the other hand, the coaching staff has a right to say, hey, you weren't all that effective. Yeah, you had seven carries. It's the fewest you've had since you became a regular member of this rotation. It's the second fewest yards you've had in a game rushing the ball. And we need more, and we've got other weapons, and that's how we feel. Do you like it that Braylon would say that? Certainly. Why not? I don't even think this is all that you know controversial or i mean sometimes in the middle of the season things can be boring and and you you need a a little juice here but he is one of the best players on the team and potentially in the country i think he's got to continue to earn that but i like a guy who's got confidence and wants the ball now there's a difference between saying that and then having 
poor body language or, or negative demeanor when you go into a game and it impacting the team. That's not what Braylon is doing here. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I, I think that I'm okay with it to a point. To a point. I think it's also, you have to be a little self-aware as well. That in the carries that you got, you were not successful. And you can't just keep on going back to that, back to that, back to that. When in the third quarter, how much success did they have throwing the ball? They threw it all over the place. They had, they, I mean, there was a stretch there where Tanner Mordecai hit all ten of his throws. So when I when I think about it, I'm like, okay, I understand where Braylon's coming from. He wants the ball because he is he is their I don't want to say their best player, but thought of as their best player. So why not give him the ball more? But then I look at the actual situation of what happened on Saturday night, and you have to go with what's working. And what was working was Tanner Mordecai throwing the ball and slinging it around. That's what got them back in the game in the third quarter. So I can I I can see where he's coming from, but I think situational, situationally, situationally. That's, yep. Yeah. That's good, a word. good job, Zach. Um, you have to be aware of this. You have to be aware of it. So. Either way, uh, I don't think that he'll only get seven carries on Saturday. I think I, I feel I feel comfortable saying that. Um, wanted to get into a few more things here. Let's go with this. All right, my best Eminem. <laughs> Will the real Badgers please stand up? We know that Wisconsin's gotten off to bad starts these last two games. They have not played well in the first half for most of them. Haven't played overly well in the fourth quarter either. But the third quarter, they've been fantastic been really really good in the third quarter which badgers are the real badgers jesse and i don't want you to say and i'm not going to let you yeah, it's right in the middle it's going to be right in the middle you're going to sound like no but i feel like that's where you're coming from you're about to go that way so where where do they stand in your mind are they the more are they more like the third quarter badgers or are they more like the badgers that we've seen at other times in the game i'm inclined to lean toward the third quarter badgers i you know, we've seen a great running attack in week one and a great passing attack in week two, and multiple guys have talked about the fact that you've got to be able to marry the two. Um, but they have it in them. And I think I fall back on the demeanor and the positivity that these players had during the week um, because I, Tanner Mordecai was so confident, and I, I thought this was noteworthy, and this is for a story that's running Friday on The Athletic, but I, I asked multiple guys, and Luke Fickle as well, how close do you feel like this offense is to getting to the level where everybody thinks it should be, including you guys? And, and Tanner said, I think we're right there. It's like we can feel it, we can smell it. So it, it just goes back to the preparation, and, and he said it, he felt like if they had a great week of practice this week that it would show up potentially in this game against Georgia Southern. My response is kind of like, well, it better. <laughs> but I do think they've got a lot of confidence in what this offense can be, and I'm not saying it's going to look like the third quarter all season. It's absolutely not, given how tough the Big Ten is. But this offense has more to give, and I do believe that they will get there because, again, they're still just two games into this process, and while people may not want to hear that, we are seeing that you can't just implement something and right away it's going to look like the greatest version of an air raid you've seen. Long term, more confident in the running game, more confident in the passing game. And, well, lo- and by long term, I mean this season. Yeah. Well, I want to go with the passing game. I don't think I would have said that after week one, but I, I do feel like Mordecai's got some some special skills here. And each game it's like if there was one throw and, and you know again if Skyler Bell catches that pass it's a 60 yard touchdown it's a perfect pass Tanner Mordecai puts that ball in front of Bryson Green we've got a different game now those are ifs and every team has ifs but I just think he's got some special talent and 
And even the the touchdown pass that he threw to Skyler in, in week two against Washington Oof. State, he get, somehow gets away from Ron Stone Jr., who's already just dominated that game with two sacks and forced fumbles. And not only does he get away, but he drops a dime to Skyler Bell. And and I was I asked Chimray DK the question about um, how good can this offense be, and he said, you know, did you see that play with Skyler Bell? I was like, yeah. He said, it was pretty damn good. Was and he, pretty was, good. he was just talking about how Tanner has this special ability to do some of those things. And so I feel more confident in the passing offense. That's not to say I don't think the run game can be very effective. I just think you've got these wide receivers and Tanner, you got to be able to do something with that group. When's the last time anybody has said that never. about a Wisconsin offense? Uh, never. <laughs> no, you know what? Maybe 2015. 2015. They didn't have any they running backs run the ball left. whatsoever. And Joel Stave was slinging it 50 times in he consecutive was? games. The Joel Stave era, which brings me to, to my final point. And, I, and, again, I know I didn't throw this in the rundown, so you won't have anything on it. But I, I wanted to bring it up because I thought about it today. It came up 10 years to the day. Wow. The Arizona State game. 2013, Wisconsin loses. I think it was 32 to 30. I think it was the final score. Wisconsin never got an opportunity to kick the extra or the uh, the field goal that would have won the game because Arizona State jumped on the ball after Joel Stave tried to take a knee. I remember them practicing this stuff. I remember because we used to get in for like the last remember like the last 10 minutes of practice or something like that, and they and we would get to see and they were practicing it and they brought it out. I'm like I don't I don't know if that's gonna I don't understand that, but okay. But they practiced it and it did not work. And uh, Pac-12 officials just let Arizona State lay on the ball, and uh, the clock ran out. And the picture of Gary Anderson going like this, there was there was a lot to it. But uh, it's uh, one of the worst regular season losses, I think, for Wisconsin. And I uh, I asked people, and, and you know, it's not the, the best thing to discuss, but people are people remember these things. Yes, and I think do. there's a lot of games. Is that one, I know you weren't there, but is that one of those games that sticks out for you? Or what game sticks out for you in your time in 10 years, okay. uh, you know, since 2011? Well, of course that one sticks out. And I think it's because most people look at it and say, we was robbed. <laughs> and really, it was just such a poor officiating call. His knee was down. We all know that. They should have gotten an opportunity. That's not what ended up happening. And I think that's the hardest thing in sports when you're a fan or obviously a part of it is like, you did what you were supposed to do, and the officials had such a blunder that you'll be talking about it for years and years to come. In terms of, they've had a lot of regular season losses in the last 10 years. I go back to the 2019 game against Illinois because mm. it was so inexplicable. Yep. I remember we could go onto the field. I went onto the field. There were eight-plus minutes left in the game, and I was standing on Wisconsin's sideline, and the Badgers had a two-possession lead, and all of a sudden Jonathan Taylor fumbles, and it totally fell apart in a game that they absolutely should not have lost. That's the only reason Levy Smith ended up with a contract extension, I think. Didn't last very long. No. I know Illinois ended up, I think, going to a bowl game, but wouldn't have happened without that one. That was probably the most inexplicable, uh, but obviously the next week they got housed by Ohio <laughs> State, and that team ended up going to the – the Rose Bowl and playing in a Big Ten championship game anyway. Yeah. So you can't say it necessarily impacted. Two games in 2015. The Iowa game oh. where Joel Stabby got stepped on by, it's who was Micah, it? Micah Poy. And he tries, still tries to hand the ball off to Taiwan Deal, and they fumble, and they lose 10-6. to 6. And then the game, the, the season, regular season finale against Northwestern where Jazz Peavy caught it and then he didn't catch it. They had three touchdowns wiped off the board. You had the Alex Erickson punt return. You had the uh, Troy Fumagalli catch for a touchdown that was wiped off and then put the ball at the one and then obviously that one was that was wiped off 
Jazz caught it. I know. I mean, he caught it. It is he what did. it is. He did. But yeah. we, we should also mention this. Maybe goes under the radar a little bit more. But in terms of ramifications for a season, oh, losing the twenty twenty one regular season finale at Minnesota, twenty three yes. to thirteen. That one stands out. Yes. <laughs> that one stands out. All right, we're gonna take us. We're gonna uh, step aside, take a break, come back on the other side, talk a little. Maybe talk a little Georgia Southern. Why not? Man, we'll talk a little Georgia Southern. We're live from Monks in Sun Prairie. You're listening to Temple and Heilprin. Yes, welcome back into Temple and Heilprin. We are live from Monks Bar and Grill every Thursday from 6 to 7. Thanks for tuning in. You can also find us uh, on YouTube. We're going to be posting these up after the show, so if you missed the show, you can find it on YouTube. You can also find it wherever, wherever you get your podcast as well. Uh, we do need to talk a little bit of Georgia State here. I, I, I don't want Georgia worry. Southern? We don't even know who they're playing. You know how many times I said Georgia State this I week? I don't worry about it. Uh, what year was that that they played Georgia State? Was that 2016? I want to oh, say was that, that the Alex Hornibrook? Uh, I think it was. I think it was Hornibrook's first, yeah, first game. Or not not his first game. His first appearance. He brought him back. Yeah, he did. And then he got the start at Michigan State the next week. I don't think we're going to be seeing a backup quarterback on Saturday. Do you know something I don't? No. <laughs> I was like, you didn't agree with me. I was like, oh, okay, all right. Well, maybe, I guess maybe if they get up. But yeah. uh, Georgia State, or Georgia Southern is 2-0 this mm-hmm. year. They uh, have beaten the Citadel, which Wisconsin has played before, and they also beat UAB, who I believe is coached by Trent Dilfer, the uh, the former NFL quarterback. So they uh, they are 2-0. They put up some points on teams. But what are you expecting from this game? Should Wisconsin be on upset watch against Georgia Southern? No, because they, they do have they do have some uh, connections to Wisconsin. T.J. Woods, the offensive line coach for the Eagles, he was at Wisconsin under Gary Anderson for the two years. Remember, story remember him on the field after the Outback Bowl, really upset that he had to leave Wisconsin. <laughs> um, and then also, obviously, have Clay Helton, who was the coach when Wisconsin played them in the Holiday Bowl, I believe, uh, when you at the when Wisconsin played USC in the Holiday Bowl. So that's the extent of the Wisconsin connection that I know. A little bit different schemes since uh since tj woods was there yes yeah for sure so but yeah should wisconsin be on upset watch on on saturday no if wisconsin's even remotely close to upset watch i think the badgers have some big problems on their hands yeah i know that georgia southern is 2-0 but to me and i know we'll get to our picks in a bit but this is a game where the badgers should absolutely roll i think i'm interested to see how this defense contends with the quarterback davis brin he was a two-year starter previously at tulsa He's completed 78% of his passes. He's averaging 281 yards passing a game. Certainly Georgia Southern has not faced a defense like Wisconsin, but it's always a challenge when you've got a quarterback and some wide receivers who can air it out and be a little bit dynamic. And he's got experience. So that's one of the matchups that I'm, I'm really interested to see after the defense was up and down, should we say, against Washington State. Yes. I'm wondering for you, how would you define success for Wisconsin in this game? Well, first of all, simply waiting, or is it something more? A blowout would okay. be pretty successful. I think it's it's. You can call this a get-right game. I view it that way too, because six days later they got to go on the road at night. It's Friday night game, Big Ten opener against Purdue. You really got to show that you are clicking here on all cylinders. Yeah, it's still early in the season, but at a certain point, it's like either this is who we are, <laughs> and it's good, or it's going to be a rough season. So for me, I think offensively can they put those two together like we saw 
or like we have yet to see, but like we saw in week one where they had a great running game, and in week two the passing game was there, but the running game was essentially non-existent. They should be able to do both. Phil Longo should figure out a way to have both those be effective. And defensively, I think they need to show that they can be dominant. I mean, they had great stretches against Washington State. What, five of the six drives between the kneel downs, they forced punts in the middle, but then they gave up 17 points in the first half on three drives. You, you can't have that. And so I think it's just having it all come together, really. Okay. All right. Uh, before we get to our picks, I want to play a little overreaction or no, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to explain because I want to get into it. So uh, the first the first overreaction or no, is this, this is an overreaction or no? Jack Nelson is a turnstile. <laughs> Nolan Ritchie can't be worse. Is that an overreaction or no? It's an overreaction to me. I think one bad sequence and one bad game does not make the player it does say something though that nelson is struggling the most he's probably ever struggled with somebody and nolan rucci wasn't in the game i think that tells you what the staff believes in terms of what the difference is between rucci and nelson and brownstone's that dude he is again like we were saying on the camp Washington State might have had the two best players on the field, certainly had the best player on the field with what Ron Stone was able to do. I would expect to see him in the NFL. But, no, I I think it was a poor performance from Jack Nelson. He would be the first to acknowledge it. But like Tanner Mordecai said after the game, what he told Jack Nelson as that was happening, there's no left tackle I'd rather have blocking for me. (laughs) Certainly, uh, I don't know what else you would say to somebody you want to keep their confidence up. But Nelson has had um, good moments. That was just the worst of his career. Hunter Wolder has established himself as the best player on Wisconsin's defense. Is that an overreaction or no? No. I think no? that's fair. Uh-huh. I, think, I, I think that's fair. He's so versatile. He's got 24 tackles through two games. Obviously, this dollar defense and how Mike Dressel wants to utilize him will help with his skill set. It marries up very well. But I just think he can impact the game in so many different ways, and he's been able to do it in in two weeks, which is what we thought we would have seen last year before he got hurt. I think a lot of people look at that and say, gosh, he's, he's led them in tackles you know the first two weeks here a safety lead in the tackles but he's not playing safety yes there's the, he's playing much closer to the line than normally a safety would so i do not say oh god that's horrible no they would not be the same if it was if he was just playing a safety spot he's not and i think that kind of allows me to say that's that's completely fine that's just another that's just another linebacker right there and from what i remember they've had safeties lead the team in tackles before i think michael caputo might i was just about that. to say that yeah so that's not indicative of oh no the last line of defense or safety is leading the team in tackles they had some good defenses when the safety is leading and sometimes it's how things are schemed up but you're right with wooler he's lining up in some different spots bryson green's a playmaker he needs a double digit he needs double digit targets every week is that an overreaction or no I'd be all for it, but I don't expect him to get 10-plus targets every week with the number of weapons that they have. It's just, to me, not all that realistic, but I'd like to see it. I really would. I don't – I guess it is an overreaction to an extent. However, listening to Luke Fickle after the game saying we need to get him involved and it can't be just on the last, you know, pass of the game – to me, that signals that there there is the idea in their heads that they need to kind of force the ball a little bit more to him and not just in desperate situations. More of and, and the one thing that stood out, and I didn't get to mention this on the camp, and I thought about tweeting it, but I, it doesn't really come across very well. There's this little signal that Tanner Mordecai gives to Bryson Green before that back shoulder throw. He just he just does he just did something with his hands like this. And I want to ask him about it. I didn't get, get I didn't see it till late in the week. But I want to ask him about it because I think that that is something where you're getting more comfortable with a guy because I guarantee, 
I can't guarantee it, but it, it feels like something that they saw on the sideline or they saw and talked about on the sideline. It's like, if we get this look, back shoulder, that's what we're going to do. And he ran the back shoulder, and it was on the play that Tanner Bordellini got called for being illegally downfield or, you know, too far downfield because it was supposed to be a run play or a quick pass. And they went the other way. Or they went the other way with it. And so I wonder if there's more to that. If they get more comfortable with each other, I feel like there might be. I feel like there might be. One more. Wisconsin should no longer be the favorite to win the Big Ten West. Is that an overreaction or no? That is a drastic overreaction. I, I checked the Big Ten West uh, records just so I could be clear on this. Five of the seven teams have already lost a game. Some of them have lost two. The only two that have yet to lose are Minnesota and Iowa. I've not been all that impressed with Minnesota. I'm really basing it on the Nebraska game where the Gophers probably shouldn't have won. Nebraska's not good. And Iowa's 2-0, but I I mean, come on. They're not even going to get 325 <laughs> points this season. So the drive for 325, and Iowa's got to play at Wisconsin. So I honestly, yeah, Wisconsin lost to Washington State, as we discussed on the camp. That might be the second-best team on Wisconsin's schedule, as it turns out. And so I have not changed my opinion that Wisconsin is still a favorite to win the West. All right. We'll see. We'll see. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to get into our picks. Jesse is off to a ridiculous start, ridiculously good start. I'm off to a ridiculous, ridiculously bad start. That's fine. That's fine. The same thing happened last year in reverse. I feel good about where I'm going to be. I feel good about where I'm going to be at the end of the season. It's not about where you are at the beginning of the season, Jesse. If you're if you're doing the same things at the beginning of the season you are at the end of the season mm-hmm. or in week eight, yep. you're not going to be a championship football team. I've heard that before. And you're also not going to be a championship better if you're doing the same things in week one that you're doing in week eight. So I'm, I'm going to be improving as the season goes on. We'll do those picks coming up a little bit after the break. You're listening to Temple and Heil Print. Yes, welcome back into Temple and Heilprin. We are live from Monk's Bar in Mar. <laughs> We're live from Monk's Bar and Grill in Zone Prairie, as we always are on Thursdays from six to seven. Love being here. Getting some college football here early. Navy and Memphis taking on each other. We're going to get a little pro football coming up here in just a little bit as the Vikings travel to Philly to take on the defending NFC champion Eagles. That game on Prime. We are going to get to our picks here. Jesse's off to Rory's start, as I said in the last segment. He is 8-4 and four so far. I am 4-8. and eight. We've both gone 4-2 and two and 2-4 two and four respectively here through the first two weeks. How do you feel about that? I feel pretty good. I probably should have put some money on these games. Uh, either you can ride Jesse, or you can you can fade me. I'm I'm, but I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to be this way the entire year. I'm feeling I'm feeling at least a 51-49 split yeah. here by the end of the year. We got six games to go. There are no great games on the schedule this week, but that usually means there's probably going to be some upsets. And uh, we're going to talk some some Big Ten football to start here. We're going to go with number seven Penn State traveling traveling to Illinois. They are 14 and a half point favorites. They have rolled in their first two games uh, over West Virginia and Delaware. Drew Allar has been fantastic. Yeah, he has. This is a tough one. I, I, I really want to go with Illinois, even though they've been awful. Uh, and I won't reveal my strategy here for this week, but I, uh, I think I'm going to go Penn State on this one. 14 and a half is a lot. Illinois' defense has been horrible in these first two games comparatively to what they were last year. Now, that's saying a lot because they were awesome last year and fantastic, but first-year defense coordinator uh, Aaron Henry struggling a bit, struggling a bit. 
That said, at Illinois, mm-hmm. you're right. Brett Bielma always, always loves the big game. Give me Illinois. Well, you got to catch up ground. Give me Illinois. I don't. I'm not. That's not. I'm not chasing yet. Okay. I'm not. I'm not doing a Luke Fickle doing two point conversion in the third quarter. I'm not chasing. I'm not chasing you yet. Uh, the next game we got big one for Minnesota. They go to North Carolina, number twenty, North Carolina, who is favored by eight. This is a this is a huge this is a huge game for Minnesota to prove that what we saw against Minnesota or against Nebraska was not. And then also, obviously, uh, North Carolina Drake May tough matchup. Yep. I don't know that Minnesota's going to win this one, but I like the Gophers with, with as an eight-point underdog. Uh, North Carolina's coming off a double overtime win against Appalachian That's State. It's always like that, though, between those two schools. Okay, well, I, I'm going Minnesota on this one. I am, I mean, so look, we saw Minnesota's run game in the first game. It did not look good. Mm-hmm. Feel like they were a little bit better in game two, but again, it was Western Michigan. I can't go PJ on the road. I just can't do it. I can't do it. All right. I can't do it. It's your big chance. I can't do it. I can't do it. So I'm going to go. I'm going to North Carolina at home, taking out P.J. Fleck and the Gophers. Next game coming up, number eight, Washington traveling to Michigan State. I don't know if you heard. There's some been some things going on at Michigan State this week. Uh, they are off to a 2-0 start, but they will not have their head coach, Mel Tucker, on leave. No, what is it? Unpaid. Unpaid leave as he deals with a little bit of a situation. That's what I'm going to call it, uh, that he has put himself into, and it looks like Michigan State was trying to get out from underneath that, that contract as well, trying to fire him for cause. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Either way, number eight, Washington, and Michael Penix comes back to the Big Ten. They are 16-point favorites at Michigan State. Michael Penix has been phenomenal this season, 73% completion rate, eight touchdowns, one pick, but 16 points is a lot on the road. Michigan State is 2-0, and and there's a part of me that thinks the Spartans, after a for the players, at least, in an emotional week, are going to rally and play well enough to cover. Yeah, I don't think Michigan State's that bad of a team. No. And last last year, the game in Seattle was a fantastic game, back and forth, a lot of, lot of offense. Now, Michigan State does not have the same quarterback, and they do not have Jaden Reed, and they do not have Deion Coleman, or uh, Keon Coleman. It's a little bit different this time around. That said, I'm going to go Michigan State as well. Michigan State as well. Another one in the Big Ten. Western Michigan traveling to number 25, Iowa. And the only reason I put this game on here mm-hmm. is because of the spread. I love it. Iowa is a 28-and-a-half-point favorite over Western Michigan. And I know Western Michigan is not any good. But is Iowa going to score 28 points? Like, are they going to have to hold Western Michigan to negative three-and-a-half to reach this uh, to reach the spread? Yeah, you got to be kidding me with this one. I, I don't know what <laughs> anybody else has been watching. I know Iowa's reasonably solid but when it comes to scoring points ooh, it's going to take a lot for me to bet uh i would i mean i'm not laying the points on even on 28 and a half you're taking so, you're taking western michigan yes i am all right i'm taking iowa all right i'm feeling good uh, uh-huh. john budmeyer has them he's gonna have them roll okay and Cade mcnamara made a really weird joke uh because <laughs> did you see that no i didn't oh my goodness he uh he broke himself up he was talking about how guys were coming Oh God! <laughs> They're gonna keep on coming, and he like heard it in his head, and he just couldn't. He yeah, he lost it. He lost it. And he and the the reporters thought it was funny too. Either way, I'm going. I'm gonna go with Iowa. Uh, big game. Colorado State visiting Colorado. Absolutely every pregame show in the country is at Boulder for this one. It's should not be a good game. Colorado State. Excuse me. Colorado State is not good, but. 
We'll see. And then their their coach Jay Norvell went and stomped on or stepped on Dion's feet today, saying that he sh- you shouldn't be doing interviews without gla- you should be doing interviews without your glasses on your and your hat on. You should be taking those off. Feels very Barry Alvarez esque, and maybe he learned that when he was at Iowa. Um, but they are favored by twenty three, and I don't think that number is big enough. Oh, really? Interesting. Really? You stepping on the Cape? You saw what happened last week. Well, they haven't won a game yet by 23 points. They only beat Nebraska by 22. Colorado now, State Col- is not good. Yeah, Colorado lost, what, 50-24 Washington dr- State. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I want the points with Colorado State. I think we're going to have drastically different picks this week, and that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going. I'm definitely going Colorado. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't have if not for Jay Norrell doing what he did. Okay. Wisconsin and Georgia Southern, Badgers favored by 19.5. I think that number's higher now, but we're going stick, to stick with the 19.5. Yeah, I think it's up to 20. I'm picking Wisconsin. I think this is a game where the Badgers put it together. I've got 42-17, to 17, so I think the Badgers are going to get some points. So that's six jello shots if you come out to Monks and Sun Prairie. <laughs> it is. Six jello shots, which would be, which would be good. Be good. I'm also going to go with Wisconsin. I do think they also put it together this week, and they figure it out offensively and defensively, more so offensively. I think they marry the two. What we saw in game one, we're going to see what we saw in game one, what we saw in game two. Good passing game or a good running game, good passing game, put them together, and Wisconsin does beat Georgia State, Georgia Southern. <laughs> they're 0 for 2 in covering the spread this year, by the way, Wisconsin. So, Which is which is fine. Yeah. Which is fine. I'm, they're going to cover. They're going to cover. All right. We really appreciate, really appreciate everybody listening. We're going to be here every Thursday from 6 to 7. We're at Monks in some prairie. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Temple and High Alpine.